0: Our chronological look at the career of Carol Kane continues on praising Kane with a misogyny rich episode as we look at (laughs) the 1983 made for TV drama An Invasion of Privacy, as well as two other Carol Kane projects. It's Praising Kane. I'm your esteemed host and guide, Liam O'Donnell. And with me, as always, is my own seductive sheriff, Doug Tilly. Hey,
1: Doug, what's going on? You know, Liam, in the show notes, you have sexy written down and you switched it out for seductive. I, I don't know what to make of that. <laughs> I thought seductive actually was a little bit
0: better. But sure, just just show the, everyone all the sausage bits as we're making them. That would be great.
1: Liam, you're a little bit uh, distressed today because of the projects that I have forced you to watch, even though you are the host of Brazen Game. Now, there is no forcing involved. We're chronologically going through the career of the wonderful carol kane and right now we're in kind of an interesting part of her career where she hasn't really you know she's on taxi but she hasn't really established herself as a big screen comedic actress which will happen you know over the next couple of years and so you get all these kind of odd projects all these strange ones from all over and yeah, today a television movie liam not just a tv movie kind of a controversial one with a weirdly stacked cast And one that's never been released on anything except for television, so we had to watch a recording from a Lifetime broadcast.
0: Yeah, it's not a great way to experience (laughs) any media, let alone this particular one. But it's it's not just that, Doug. And this is where I have to take issue here. Are you telling me that our prelude topic is also in chronological order? So I'm supposed to believe that between 1981's The Girls in Their Summer Dresses and 1983's An Invasion of Privacy, she didn't do anything?
1: No, 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 not at all. We're actually up to 1983 with, as you can see with of uh-huh, uh-huh, privacy, uh-huh. we're catching up on certain projects, especially odds and ends. We've been very good about her going chronologically through her movies. Right. But the the other projects that we're going to be talking about in this opening segment are just things that I've managed to track down that she's also worked on.
0: So, what I'm saying to you is you found a commercial, right? Yes. That is uh, deeply linked to patriarchy. And mm-hmm. then you found a PBS special, which also is uh, not just linked to patriarchy, right? But both of these things are about male gaze. Yes. And unbridled male sexuality. Mm-hmm. And you compare them with a uh, frankly awkward TV movie. Uh-huh. also about sexual assault which by the way hey y'all trigger warning this episode there's going to be discussions of sexual assault and the r word which even hearing it can be hard for people and Absolutely. so if you're not interested in hearing us talk about this uh you know i i don't want to give away our thoughts too early but let's just say uh we're going to be a bit critical of at least some aspects of this tv movie And it's handling of these issues. And so uh, if that doesn't sound fun for you, then I would say that this is the episode to skip. I'm sure there's a, a, a new episode of some other
1: podcast you can listen to. The Joe Rogan experience. Sure, sure, um, exactly. I, I also want to say that in this opening segment, before we take our break, you know, we, we're going to keep things light. There's no reason not to. I think we'll, we're going to take things pretty darn seriously when we talk about the movie, simply yes. because that subject matter is so serious. Yes. And if you don't want to hear two cishet guys talk about the R word, and a movie that dramatizes a woman's experience with that. Yeah, as Liam said, a big trigger warning for this episode, but we're also not going to treat it like, you know, we're not going to goof on it or anything like that.
0: No, but uh, you did include this uh, Dr. Pepper commercial, Doug, which unfortunately (laughs) I feel like we do have to goof on because now, first of all, this is actually thematically appropriate because something we've discussed previously on this show is the 70s obsession with silent film, that I mm-hmm. guess just enough time had passed that suddenly people were like, oh my God, remember silent movies? Uh, and a theme in silent movies, unfortunately for, for some folks, was this idea of the v- dastardly villain endangering the purity, the character, the however, whatever uh, uptight, misogynist language you want to use, he's threatening the woman. And, and in this commercial it's black and white well you know it's almost more the the silent film sepia than it is black certainly and white. right and uh and carol Kane is is putting it on i mean she's really got a face for this kind of thing and she's being threatened by a man in a black hat uh i, I think their their uh their altercation is heard by what appears to be a mountie which also is this a canadian dr pepper commercial i don't know what's happening
1: look here. america my understanding just for looking through cinema history is that there was a brief time when Americans were obsessed with the idea of the heroic Canadian Mountie, not yeah, anymore. Right. No one gives a shit about it. And yeah. I live in Canada, and we don't give a shit about it either. But this, basically, the plot of this this commercial is Dudley Do You got a snide yep. whiplash guy who's got you know the the woman, and uh, she calls out, and uh, yeah, a Mountie, a Dudley Do comes to save her.
0: But it turns out that despite every cinematic indication that this is a uh, comedic dramatization of an assault, he actually just wants her to try Dr. Pepper. And when she does, not only does she realize that Dr. Pepper's cool or that D- this Dudley Do-Right guy can kick bricks because he sucks, she also starts looking lasciviously at this uh, villain guy who. That's not what he was here for. He just wanted her to try some Dr. Pepper. He doesn't care about... He's not actually trying to get with her, but she's like, guess what, baby? This is what's happening now. Uh, Also, it turns to color, by the way. It does. Oh, and as soon as you just Dr. Pepper, Which, to be fair, I love Diet Dr. Pepper so much, I do feel like the world (laughs) turns to color when I have one. Uh, That being said, it is... I think normally this sort of commercial I would just roll my eyes at because it's like not offensive, really. It's just silly. But the fact that it's on this episode where we're so (laughs) laden with these topics that I watched this, it was like, God damn it, Doug.
1: All right. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I do want to mention, by the way, I mean, it is kind of it's very silly. It's a very good. I like how distraught the Mountie looks at the end. He's like, He arrives and she's like, nope, don't need you. Fuck off. And he just goes, goes away. But that idea of Carol Kane having this silent movie glamour, you're right, it has repeated a few times, particularly in her late 70s roles. It's something that, that was kind of her uh, one of her defining attributes. But yeah, this was from 1974, a year before she uh, broke out with Hester Street, but you can tell she was still you know, taking those regular gigs back then. Yeah,
0: yeah. I wonder how uh, prevalent this bit of marketing was. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if there were people who saw Hester Street and were like, oh, she's from that Dr. Pepper commercial, or if that connection wasn't made, you know? That
1: happens to me every once in a while. when When an actor just kind of suddenly breaks out, you know sure. that actor uh, Randall Park? He's a, a... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Great. Yeah, yeah, very, very famous. has been tons of stuff, Veep, et cetera, et cetera. I think he was on that Blockbuster TV show. Um, I was once watching an episode of Veep on Hulu and one of the commercials that they showed, he was in the commercial while I was watching the show. I think it was for American Express or something like that. It was just, you know, just happened to be at that moment where he was breaking through just a really weird and odd thing. The other thing about this commercial, and, and this is something maybe I didn't realize because we're both, this commercial is older than both of us, is that it's sort of trying to communicate, hey, you don't necessarily know what Dr. Pepper is. The name doesn't tell you what it tastes like. So why don't you just try it? You might like it. It's just weird to think of a world where people didn't know what Dr. Pepper necessarily tasted. like.
0: Well, and what's more, it's also weird to think of an ad room where someone says, we want to communicate to people. Don't judge a book by its cover. Just try it. You might like it. Why don't we focus on an assault? <laughs> <laughs> Cause that's the conversation they had. Doug. That's what the writer's room did for this particular. I mean, it might've just been one person, but you know what I mean? Like it's weird. Uh, it's one of those things where if I'm sure if I had seen it on TV back in the day, I would not even have given it a second thought. Sure. But now it struck me as weird, even though it is a reminder that Carol Kane at this time, if if uh if given the opportunity really could do the sort of expressive acting needed for silent film. Like she really sort of nails that, you know, and and, and I appreciate that, but man, what a weird fucking what a weird fucking <laughs> commercial.
1: Like you said, it's worse contextually. And speaking of contextually, yeah, I also found another odd project that we had uh, missed out on in terms of Carol Kane's career. So we watched a short film uh,
0: called, well, so based off the short story and also called The Girls in Their Summer Dresses by Irwin Shaw. Um, And my understanding is that this was part of the Great Performances series uh, on PBS and, and was presented as like a... A few different shorts, uh, The Girls in the Summer Dresses and Other Stories that aired right. June 1st, 1981. And these were all Irwin Shaw's short stories.
1: Yes? That's right. Three of his stories adapted, uh, but they're completely separate, obviously, uh, not uh, connected in any way. And all, you know, with pretty familiar looking talent. I think Brian Dennehy is in one of them, but we are only going to be talking about the one that features Carol Kane the girls in their summer dresses. Mm-hmm.
0: The other two, in case people are curious, were The Monument and The Man Who Married a French Wife. I I still know people who love Irwin Shaw's uh, plays and short stories, so someone out there might want to find this out, find this uh, collection, just because they like Irwin Shaw. But the, we watched The Girls in Their Summer Dresses, uh, directed by Nick Havinga, who mostly was a TV person, uh, started off in... Uh, Soap operas, um, including yeah. uh, uh, Guiding Light and Camera 3, and then did a lot of other stuff, TV, a lot of TV movies in the mid-60s, uh, later on worked on Facts of Life, uh, Archie Bunker's Place, uh, and then uh, ended up on Knott's Landing for a while.
1: Uh, directed directed episodes more episodes of ALF. Of Alf. Yeah, yeah I was he was gonna a, say. Yeah, yeah I yeah. just like the. I mean, that's the thing. These journeymen, like these TV directors, they just direct everything they're told to direct. So why not direct this adaptation of this short story and as many episodes of Alf as you possibly can direct?
0: He also did episodes of Harry and the Hendersons, which mm-hmm. I watched when I was a kid for some reason that I can't <laughs> explain. Uh, written by Kenneth Cavender, another television person. Um, did a number of stage plays as well and, and won some awards in that realm. And as we said, was based off of Erwin uh, Shaw's short story. Um, some people might know Erwin Shaw because uh, his novels, The Young Lions uh, and, um,
1: oh. Rich Man, Poor Man.
0: Yeah, Rich Man, Poor Man. Thank you. Uh, I've never read them, but I had a lot of friends who – were into, I say a lot, I shouldn't say a lot. I had a few friends who were into Irwin Shaw enough that I knew the name, Uh, and then of course, I don't know if you feel this way, I feel like I've heard about the girls and their summer dresses short story a good deal, right? I was never asked to read it like in school, but it is something I've heard people talk about. Is that the case for you too, Doug? Or not
1: or no? not at all. No, I wow. mean certainly... I've heard about it
0: a good deal. Enough that I was surprised when it started that I had no idea what it was about. Like when, we, when I started watching <laughs> it, I'm like, I know this name so much. Why don't I have any idea where this is
1: going? My familiarity with Irwin Shaw is minimal at best i know the name i know that he was a writer and a, a playwright but i had never read any of his work previous to this so i felt an obligation to read the short story that this was adapted from uh in advance so at least i have an idea of, of you know how it's capturing his voice
0: sure sure uh this particular short features just jeff ridges the dude and carol kane <laughs> um as a couple sort of having a conversation as their sunday unwinds Um, the, the, the description focuses on them getting a drink. Uh, it's important to note, I think in the, in the actual plot, they end up getting a drink because the conversation they're having already is going so poorly. What is meant to be a fun Sunday date time, just the two of them becomes a really intense conversation about their relationship and about, uh, the dude's, uh, character, (laughs) Michael Loomis. (laughs) Uh, his inability to keep his eyes to himself in the opinion of Carol Kane. Um, We'll get some more into like how that unfolds and what they talk about. I just want to specifically ask you, Doug, what did you think of this short, especially knowing that you read the short story that this is uh, adapted from?
1: It is a very accurate adaptation of the short story. I mean, most of the dialogue comes directly from it for good and for bad. The big change between the short story and this adaptation is that the adaptation takes place presumably in 1981 when they were filming it. It's obviously meant to be, you know, modern day, while the short story I think is from the 1920s. And so it means that some of the things that they talk about, like the, the overall kind of idea of a husband and wife, they've been married for a while, and the husband is still you know, looking at other women when they're walking around. That's something that's timeless. It it, it it has aged, if anything, it's as timely in 1981 and as timely in 2023 as it was when it was written. But, you know, references things to, oh, we're going to watch a professional football game. I like professional. It just sounds a little weird yeah. coming out of someone's mouth in 1981 compared to the 1920s. But I think overall it's, uh, and I know I'm speaking specifically of the the translation I think they do a really good job adapting it. The performances are good. It's a little iffy in terms of there's there's a lot of dub dialogue because they're out on the street, like uh, ADR stuff. But aside from that, I think it it all plays well. In terms of the content, you know, it's funny, right? We're both married men and have been for a long time. Um, And I wasn't always sure what this short story and adaptation was trying to get across in regards to whether it was speaking so universally about men it's like are married men destined to cheat is it just this guy who is destined to you know look at other women always look it doesn't matter how beautiful or committed he is in his current relationship as he said he's never cheated on his wife at at the time of, of this conversation but he's unable to you know, not look at the girls in their summer dresses and he has to have all these fantasies at all times. I don't really know how judgmental the story is meant to be regarding that or um, or whether the downer note that it ends on is supposed to spell doom or just kind of a, uh, a more clear reality, you know, a more honest expression between this couple of what they actually want out of things.
0: Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I like that you kind of separated out these two things. If we're talking about the performances separate from the thing itself, really strong, actually. It's hard to do 20 minutes with just two people. It's certainly hard to take a short story that's mostly talking and turn it into something worth watching on screen, right? And I don't know that it's entirely successful in that in that way. I think... Um, I, I wouldn't say I was bored, but I would say that um, once they sit down, I found it a little less engaging to watch and I could have just mm. listened to it. You right. know, this could have almost been like a teleplay or a podcast more than Oh, very movie. much so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but just like watching it, th- there is a certain amount of expressiveness to Carol Kane that I think really comes through. Uh, but that kind of also leads me into the content-wise, which is – I agree with you. I don't know what the perspective of the story is. It's certainly not a feminist narrative because it's unclear what we should think about this dude or about the concerns of his partner, right? And um, I get a little bit of a bias because I can see Carol Kane and I can see how emotional she is. Yes. And I can see how she's trying for a large part of this conversation to keep it friendly but also be honest about what she's feeling. And a different performance would give this a different tenor. If I think if you had a actress or I shouldn't say actress, an actor playing that role who, uh, who was less sensitive, right? Who Mm -hmm. maybe Mm -hmm. was portraying this more like whining and less like the sharing of a concern with someone you love, then the whole tenor of the narrative changes because it's not clear that there's a strong perspective on this one dude or men in general in a society where... Because underneath the surface of this question of should he be looking or not is really the question of the male gaze, about the yeah. objectification of women, mm-hmm. and all this stuff. And what's more, how much of this is justified by how he views the, the nature of women, right? So there's somewhat of an idea that like, if they didn't want him to look, why would they be out in their summer dresses, right? He doesn't say that explicitly, but that's kind of implied as he sort of explains why to him this is so normal. And in a way, by making it about his feeling unsure about their future as a couple the narrative actually allows it to move away from the societal implications into something more personal maybe this dude is just a hornball who can't commit right which isn't really the question cuz there are plenty of men and you know possibly women as well in committed relationships who also feel pretty good about looking around and feeling and 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 seeing what's around them and stuff and i don't know that they're i think the conversation about his ability to be committed and the conversation about whether it's okay for him to be looking, those could actually be two separate conversations, which to me sure. would be more mm-hmm. interesting and more engaging. Uh, so I found myself, Doug, weirdly, being kind of moved by the performances while still finding the content a little lacking. Like, I, I'd heard enough about this story that I thought I would be kind of engaged intellectually by it. And I don't know that I was. I think I found it a little... Surfacey. what what do you think of that
1: yeah i mean i think it's it's natural to feel somewhat conflicted and maybe that's part of the 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 point of the story Sure, is sure, to sure, sure conflicted sure. in regards to it and, and uh, it's what i was to a certain extent saying before about the idea is whether this is meant to be more of a universal observation right. or speaking just specifically about this character if it just stayed on that concept of you know i look around you know i look at women as they pass by i you know i picture them I'm, I'm attracted to women i live in this city because there's so many attractive women and her being bothered by that and his unwillingness to deviate from that to make her feel more comfortable that's one thing but it then does evolve into that question of: it's like do you think you inevitably will cheat on me because? you keep looking at other women. And I mean, he kind of comes down on yes, that he will that that he knows that he will at some point. And I think that's the big question. It's like, if men are looking around at other women, is it because they're looking for another option? Is it because they're always looking for the next woman in their life, even in a committed relationship? And I mean, that's, it's a really sad question to ask, but it's a worthwhile one to ask. I just don't necessarily and maybe this is something that you're struggling with as well, don't necessarily like being lumped in with that. If my wife told me that it made her sad, that I looked at other women, I, I would stop doing it because making my wife sad makes me sad.
0: Right, right. Well, I mean, famously, you are a rubbernecker, Doug. So how <laughs> does Jill feel about that? Your constant roving glaze gaze. I said glaze. What the fuck?
1: <laughs> you know, I mean, look, we've been married a very long time. You know, the, when you are mar- married, as long as my wife and I have been... The, the level of honesty that develops between you, at least yeah, I hope that fair, happens consistently fair, 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 in fair, other fair. conversation. It goes beyond even the conversations that they have in this short story, right? It goes deep, you go into places where in some ways, and this is something that might be very revealing for people listening who have not been in long-term relationships. Uh, in some ways you've told each other so much and you know so much about each other that it's kind of impossible to imagine starting a relationship from the beginning yes. again. Um, because the, it's like, <laughs> for two on two sides of it, one, the very concept of starting from the bottom just seems baffling, right? That's why I feel so bad for when people like lose a partner and things like that. But the other side is, she's just knowing someone was walking around with literally every dark secret in the, that you have in their mm-hmm. mind. Yeah. It's just, it's just, there's just so much to it, but that's built on trust. It's built well, on uh, a commitment, right? I do wonder to some extent here if we are
0: not taking seriously enough the time difference in the sense that. Even in 1981, and maybe I'm being too uh, uh, anachronistic here, but it seems to me even in 1981, the idea that that a wife would have a serious concern for five motherfucking years... And now's the day she just happened to bring it up. You know what I mean? Like they've never talked about this before and they've been married for five years and who knows how long they were dating before that 1920 I'm on board, man. People weren't opening up about their lives. 1981. I'm a little like, really? That doesn't sound very healthy. 2023 hey, y'all, if you're in a long term relationship, and there's something that bothers you as much as this clearly bothers her, and you haven't brought it up over the course of your five years of being committed to building a life together. Now's the goddamn time. I don't know what to tell you like that. It just seemed to me, it seems to me a little bit like hard to relate to. Because regardless of the content of the concern, I don't think I have a single concern in the front of my mind, that after five years, I haven't at least mentioned once you know I mean
1: I would agree generally Liam but you know what I sometimes read and I know a lot of these are faked but I read those am I the asshole things sure on yeah, yeah yeah, yeah. And, and sometimes they're couples that have been together for 15 years and it's just like it is this like all based on a lack of communication that seems to be the problem like 98% of them is just like why didn't you just have a fucking conversation about it why didn't you get to the bottom of this before it became this giant issue it just, I mean, what it what you learn very quickly when you've been in a long-term relationship is that a lot of relationships, the reasons that they suffer is because people are just bad at communicating with one another. With one another.
0: I think that would be more understandable. The, the story goes out of its way, probably positively, and maybe this is actually, again, could be partly the performance by Carol Kane. It, it tries to make it clear that this isn't about her insecurity. She feels like she is as pretty as these other girls, right? Yes. In a situation where she very much didn't feel that way, I would actually say I'm being unfair because she might not have said anything over five years because she felt bad and she doesn't want to know. Mm -hmm. In the context of what she's saying and the way that that context is brought to life by Carol Kane, I don't get the feeling that she's lying. I get the feeling that she strongly believes she has nothing to feel bad about, but she feels bad because it makes her wonder if he's unhappy. And again, Mm. it's one of those places where the story, through subtle clues is making this about him and his character and not about the larger question of like, what do couples, and again, this is heterosexual couples. I think this gets more interesting in queer relationships.
1: Also, we're talking, I guess, kind of specifically about monogamous couples too, right?
0: Oh, but that's uh, again, that's not even a, another reason why this couldn't possibly be in twenty twenty three because they'd be like, "So, uh, I notice you stare at the our, our trainer a lot. Do you want to invite them into the bedroom? Like, what what's going on? You know." Anyway, I, the, the point the point is is that it's really. I know so many people who, even if they will never, ever, ever, ever choose to be in an open relationship, have at least had the conversation, right? I think in 2023, and again, not universally, but a lot of couples at this point are like, hey, yo, I'm just checking in. This isn't what I'm interested in, but I don't know where you're at. Like, let's talk about this thing so at least we know how we feel about it, you know? And I have plenty of friends who are in either uh, open relationships or more uh, interestingly are in throuples, you know, sure. like, mm-hmm. and, and they're not in like wild, uh, you know, 20 uh, uh, something communal living situations. I'm talking about people with kids who are like, yeah, uh, you yeah, know, it's me, you know, my husband and my boyfriend or me, my wife and my girlfriend or, or, you know, whatever it is, you know? And like, Cool. Like, that's great. Uh, so I think some of the aspects of this are, are hard to relate to. I think the part maybe that I'm focusing on is the part that I think is still valuable in 2023, which is like, despite how open we say we are as a as a society, there is a certain amount of uh, how, in, at least in the US and probably in Canada too, how we relate to sex is somewhat related to the commodification of it. And the obfuscation of it. Sex can be hinted at for the purposes of selling things, but can never be come at directly in public discourse because then it's erotic or something. You know what I mean? And so I think that the idea that for some men, and again possibly some women, it's it doesn't have to be gendered, but I think in a patriarchal society, it's more common for men to look at women as very important, very valuable objects of their desire. And they Mm -hmm. try Mm -hmm. to humanize those women as much as they can, but at some level, they want to look, not just because they appreciate the female form, but they're kind of like, you know... They're on the market or they're missing the market, whatever, however they Mm -hmm. want to imagine it. And that's not to say that I'm out here averting my eyes when I see beautiful people, but I do think like me and my wife have to have a conversation about this so we know where we're at and that would be more normal for us. Whereas this conversation, for anyone who doesn't know this short story, this could have easily ended their fucking marriage. It gets so intense. Mm -hmm. And then they end up deciding to distract themselves with their friends who it's not clear that they like Mm -hmm. very much.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's there's. I'm glad that you brought up the fact that Carol Kane seems secure in herself because I do think insecurity is an important point in regards to this, right? I mean, you know, I mean, I'm certainly in my own relationship. There are there's lots of insecurity that I feel about myself, and I know my wife feels. You know, I once made a comment, and this is not meant to to be very revealing about my wife and my relationship, but I think I referred to Salma Hayek as ridiculously hot at one point and it didn't hurt my wife's feelings or anything like that i think it's a pretty clear fact that most people would agree that salma Hayek is ridiculously hot but anytime we see salma Hayek at this point she's like hey doug it's that ridiculously hot woman right it's it she she the idea of me finding someone so overwhelmingly beautiful that I would make any reference to it, I think it made her feel you know, a little bit insecure. And when I recognized that in, herself, in her, that she felt that way, then I'm like, well, you know what? Maybe I should tone down that shit a little bit. Maybe I shouldn't work hard to make my wife not right. feel secure right. in herself and our relationship. And that's something that this doesn't really tangle too strongly with the idea yeah. of how much should you restrict yourself to make the person that you love more than anything feel more secure, right? In the case of Jeff Bridges' character here, he he his wife seems to want honesty with the knowledge that that honesty is going to hurt her and he you know he actually says he said you asked for it this is what it is now my honesty wouldn't be the same and that's another thing that going back to what you were saying i always wrinkle against the universality of what some people say it's like you know you'll hear it on twitter or something like that it's like monogamy is not natural And, and 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 for some people it it isn't you know some people they don't ever want that in their lives and that's great and for me it's the only thing I've ever wanted in my own life and I've always been happy within it but you know everyone responds to this really fucked up world a little bit differently and the fact that this movie sorry or this kind of short story adaptation might be trying to say something universal that's always something I'm like well how much of myself do I see in it in this case a little bit I can see how it applies and then there's that also that aspect that it was written in 1939 and there's been so much you know uh, feminist pushback rightfully so with a lot of white feminist fo- pushback even amongst that time period that um, that that the conversation has changed a lot in those you know 50 years
0: yeah I think that's true we've we've discussed this almost as long as the actual short so <laughs> let's let's just go ahead and say uh, there's only two performers here and we've said that their performance is pretty strong I just want to say you know sometimes I forget, that young dude was also good, right? Like I have really focuses focused on, uh, 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 the dude in his later years. Uh, and, and, you know, I keep saying the dude cause that's, that's funny for me, but there's a lot of later Jeff Bridges performances that I really like, uh, younger, still good. I think switching gears to the focus of this podcast, Carol Kane, I think she kind of blows him out of the water here. Do you think that's fair? Like, I just feel like he's really good, she has to do a lot more that has a lot more complexity. And I think she outshines him, even though I don't want to say because he does a bad job. It's just there's a lot for her to do and she does it very well.
1: I have a question for you first. Yes. How old do you think Jeff Bridges is in this?
0: 26, 27.
1: 33 is the correct oh answer.
0: okay all right
1: uh, i mean i know that changes things a little bit right i felt like he was had this beard because he was trying to look a little older but no i mean that's a reasonable age for mm-hmm. him to be mm-hmm. in this situation i agree with you though but i also think that she's asked to do so much more reacting in this and she's right. so good at that right um th- this might be a controversial statement and i might cut it out afterwards liam i do think an idealized version of beauty has changed a lot since 1981 uh, maybe a mainstream view of beauty so i think that maybe someone from 2023 eyes might be like look at this young handsome jeff bridges and like this wayfish carol kane like th- that maybe if she didn't voice the fact that she was secure in her beauty that you might think that you know you, you might think exactly what you said that she wouldn't think of herself as beautiful when at that time period you know she was very much a classical idea of beautiful um but i think she just does a great job you know she has to. It's a really hard line to walk where she's making herself vulnerable, but like you said, not being uh, whiny, not being overbearing, which I know is a, a loaded word. But like she really has to push back, but also be open to whatever he has to say. But I mean, let's face it. This is a story about a guy talking about his inner feelings about something. And a lot of what she has to do is react to it. And I think she does an amazing job.
0: Yeah, well, I don't know that I found it compelling enough to recommend it, but uh, I wasn't mad that I that I watched this. I do think it felt a little darker in the context of our main discussion, <laughs> just because the question of uh, uh, you know uh, female personhood and the way that men see themselves as somehow more valuable in a lot of ways uh, is very important to our next movie in a much darker way than I think it's displayed here, but I wouldn't be offended if someone saw this as a part of the same fabric that is animating our next Film, so we're gonna take. I mean, a break. in some
1: ways, uh, sorry, Liam. But I think ahead. that it's healthy, right? We're still yes. talking about the the complexities of relationships, and I don't just mean because of what happens in the next one. It, there's a lot more that goes on in the movie that we're about to talking about than just the cent- the central uh, incident, which right. I'm not going to downplay in any way. It's really about how men react to that in uh, uh, that that thing that happened, the R word, which we'll actually say the word when we get into it because I don't want to diminish it in any way. I do want to mention, by the way, that if you do want to watch this adaptation of the girls in their summer dresses, it was uploaded to YouTube something like 13 years ago in two parts, so they uploaded it when you could only do 10-minute videos at a time, but it is available to watch. It's not a great quality version, but it is out there. Yeah, I don't think it's worth it, but if you want to, that's fine. (laughs) Uh, I'll link it in the show notes along with that Dr. Pepper commercial. Yeah,
0: Uh, so we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about 1983's An Invasion of Privacy. We'll be right back. What's bothering you?
2: I can't believe what Kate went through today. I told her not to go in the first place. I had to go. She's my friend. All she has to do is go back to Connecticut and let this whole thing blow over. And then she'll be in jail, Harvey. Why? So that his wife and kids can go on welfare? Come on. What's the point? What's the point? I don't know what the point is. What is the point? Kate can just pick up and go on with her life, but, you know, Purdy, Purdy can't do that. His whole life is on this island. If he has to go to prison, this is the place he has to come back to. In shame. I don't think you're being fair. Fair? Yeah. What about the next woman he goes after? Come on, that's... Don't be silly. What do you mean? He's not going to do it again. He made one mistake. He won't do it again. He'll be too scared that he might go to prison for 10 years. He'll be scared. Yeah. And what about me? What about you? What do you have to do with this? What if I'm scared? What if I'm scared he'll rape me, Harvey? That's ridiculous. He already did rape me. He already did rape me. Shut up. All right?
0: Maine townsfolk doubt a divorcee, Valerie Harper, new in town, who accuses a local handyman of rape. It's 1983's An Invasion of Privacy. Directed by Mel Damsky, uh, a pretty prolific television director, uh, most notably uh, directed uh, the TV show Psych, uh, recently turned to making Christmas-themed TV movies, which is an interesting transition, uh, written by Elaine Mueller, based on the novel, uh, very pro- provocatively titled Asking For It by Joan Taylor. Um, I got to say, while that title would be I think pushed me and a lot of people off because it is so provocative. It does feel a bit more appropriate than an invasion of privacy, which is a Very bit too, so. I Very think, stuffy so. for the topic. You the, know that
1: title. The title of the book it was based on; those words are actually vocalized in the movie. So yeah, right, I think it right. seems even more appropriate in some ways. But I mean, you know, the provocativeness of early eighties television movies. There's there's restraint here for sure.
0: Yeah. Uh, As we mentioned, uh, starring Valerie Harper as uh, Kate Bianchi, the the main character, also uh, Cliff DeYoung, Tammy Grimes, uh, Richard – now, how do you say his last name, Doug? Masser? I think it's it's Masser. Masser. Richard Masser, Jerry Orbach, uh, a very young Sarah Macelle Macelle, – Sarah – a very young Sarah Michelle Geller uh, in her first appearance on television as uh, Valerie Harper's character's daughter, Jennifer. Uh, Jeff Daniels, who was a surprise for me, I did not realize was in this. Uh, as well as a bunch of other people, including, of course, Carol Kane, hence why we we're discussing it. So, you know, interesting television movie. Um, a lot of very notable people are in this, Doug. What did you think of it, though, As a movie, before we really get into its handling of the issues, uh, just as an experience watching it, what did you think of the movie?
1: It's so interesting to think, Liam, that a lot of the TV movies that we have watched for our various podcasts, they tend to be a little more modern, right? They tend to be uh, the kind of stuff that Lifetime makes these days, like the Stock by My Doctor movies, which are very comic booky to a certain extent and they they don't treat the material very seriously and even when you know the idea of stalking and sexual assault that's part of those movies as well but from what i've seen personally i I can only speak from what i've seen which is a very limited amount considering how many movies they make in a year they do not take that material very seriously this movie does take this material seriously but it's very 1983 in the way that that it 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 uh it handles it which doesn't mean that a lot of what it has to say isn't still appropriate for 2023. It's something which I think people at the time may, I don't wanna speak of the ignorance of people in 1983, but it feels like a message that probably resonated a lot stronger than it might resonate now, when I think a lot of us are aware of the limitations of the justice system when it comes to victims of rape. And I know that a lot of people still need that knowledge and should be, it should be reinforced all the time, It just feels like what this movie is trying to do is say the reason, and this is very true, the reason that women don't come forward after a sexual assault is because the the, the justice system, A, doesn't give them justice, and B, is going to rake them over the coals and embarrass them and humiliate them and take out all their dirty laundry in the process of trying to get that justice, which is still as real in 2023 as it was back then and as it's always been. Um, But this one feels a little bit more informational um and the fact that that she in this story spoiler alert gets you know a modicum of justice i wish that that was more reflective of what the reality is but i do think that this movie is at least at its core very honest about the difficulties that women might experience the thing that really was weird about this movie though was how they treated this small town right this main mm. town that she goes mm. to where when she first arrives people aren't just like quiet or off uh, like put off by the fact that this big city artist has come to live with them for a while they are openly hostile to her it's it's almost like a horror movie it's right it's, it's like one of those you know like um, salem's lot or or, uh, or or something like that where you know there's this small town with a secret that everyone is hiding and what you kind of find out later is this small town does have a secret uh and and we'll probably get into that as we talk a little bit more I I wouldn't say I liked it. This isn't a movie that is really about liking. It's a movie that's more that I appreciated. The performances are really strong. It goes into some places that I wasn't expecting, but it also feels very much like a program of its time.
0: I felt like the performances were very strong. As a piece of entertainment, which at some level this is, it doesn't really work for me. I'm not engaged by it in any particular way, Uh, partly because I think you're right, like... It Well, okay. So part of my issue here is that I think, though you're correct, it does try to make it clear why women might not or often do not come forward. Mm. It still wants to defend the system as a whole. It really is about certain individual dudes... Uh, being insensitive or not understanding what's going on or and this part is completely accurate just naturally wanting things to go back to normal that even some of the men who understand that this is a crime are like but I mean come on you know like they just want it whatever's happening here that involves uh, the seeking of justice they just want it to be over because it's inconvenient or Mm -hmm. it's weird it makes them feel uncomfortable that's all very accurate I think that's all done very well the movie is uninterested in the ways that the system encourages all of this behavior and encourage it and does not encourage people to like come forward the only part that really could be seen as an indictment of the system is the ease with which this man gets out of jail, and considering the year this came out, that very easily could be seen as a bit of like Reaganite criminal justice, like all these criminals getting out on the yeah, streets, right, right, yeah, right and right, right, not right. like, hey, this needs special treatment because of the 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 woman involved and how this works. So I I do think it falls short of what we might expect in twenty twenty three. I'm
1: just going to interrupt you for a second, Liam, just because. The one of the like the real difficulty here is that the ending can only go to one of two ways, right? Mm-hmm. If if he if nothing happens to the guy, then the movie's saying, well, women shouldn't try to find justice because they won't find it, mm-hmm. even though that mm-hmm. is the reality in a lot of cases. But by finding justice, there's that hint of oh, the the you know justice will prevail in these situations, which it really almost never does.
0: Well, and I think the movie doesn't actually resolve itself because. Uh, we'll get into this more. But sure. there is a subplot with Carol Kane that is apparently important enough for us to spend a significant amount of time on that we never resolve because and, – and I think maybe this enforces my negativity towards the attitude towards the system. Please. Once our main character gets justice, however we want to construe that, sure. the movie's just like, well – See you later, and it just ends. It literally cuts from the courtroom to her leaving the island, which, by the way, she was uninterested in doing previously, but now that she's got justice, she's just going to leave this island. Uh, Nothing has changed for Carol Kane's character. Um, there's not, it's not really clear that anyone has learned anything. We don't get to check in with any of these awful men to see if maybe they were changed in any way. The movie just goes, well, he's going to prison, which means the, because again, this goes back to things we've talked about on other episodes recently. Uh, we see enough cracks in the system here, Doug, that one man going to jail is actually not sufficient. Like, more things, there should be an attitude at the end of like, yeah, this one situation had a reasonable resolution, but this is a bigger fucking problem, so let's leave this film in a way that says, hey, yes, this is a a kind of happy ending, but actually, we should be more willing to address these other issues, and instead the movie's like, all right, let's end with a kiss, see you later, and then that's it, like, it's all good, and I'm like, this is... Could not be more unsatisfying to me as a viewer as an ending. It was in a movie where I wasn't really having a good time a lot of the movie. The part that bummed me out the most was the ending. I just felt like it really didn't take seriously a lot of the themes of the movie. It just sort of wrapped itself up in a kind of bow I didn't need, like the suggestion that. You know, she needs to kiss this sheriff on her way out of town. I don't need that shit. Why is that in there? Give me, give me something else. Let me know that Carol Kane's going to be okay. Let I, me know that I, her I, husband is less of a dickhead. Like, what are we? I doing? don't know.
1: I don't know if you felt this way, Liam, but I actually felt all this tension, all this tension during that last scene where she, you know, has that last conversation with the cop because I thought it was then going to be followed up with like the the reveal that Carol Kane's character like killed herself or something like that, that, that like that was, I mean, it really feels like that, like you said, it's unresolved. Okay, let, let, let us be clear about what happens in regards to that. So in this small town, everyone's really cold to Valerie Harper's character and she befriends Carol Kane uh, uh, who works and her husband her husband is Richard Masser, he is a dentist in the town, and Carol Kane is both his assistant and his wife, and they have a young daughter, just like Valerie Harper's character does. And they're both, like, they're supposed to be, like, the continental people in the town, the one that can uh, measure up to the big city Valerie Harper character, because she's from Connecticut. So, you know, they really bond, and she becomes closer to Carol Kane's character, and... After the uh, the rape happens in the movie, Richard Masser, even though he's supposed to be, you know, a little bit more sensible and a little bit more dignified, he's very much like, well, it happened, maybe you should get over it, don't go to the courts, this guy, you know, he, he'd never do it again, He, you know, this is, he's a good guy at heart, you know, the kind of, of rape apology that we hear about all the time and see all the time, and Then it's revealed because Carol Kane is is like very upset at her husband for how he's reacting to this, as, as any woman really probably would be. And then it's revealed later that the same man who raped Valerie Harper had raped her a year previously. And this is after Richard Masters, like talking to her and like getting angry at her for the fact that she that she is so upset at him for taking it so lightly. And that, you know, it's supposed to be this big revealing moment for him. And this is—it's really the, the emotional moment of the entire movie when she reveals this. It's—it's it's actually, in, in a movie that that doesn't go too far in regards to how it dramatizes a lot of this because of the limitations of made-for-TV movies. It's powerful. It's powerful because it feels like a real moment, a real kind of a striking moment in a relationship between two people and it's probably the reason that those two actors signed on in this in the first place because they get to have that moment but it's a it's a rough thing and it's such a massive turning point and you know that carol kane's character is going to be attending the trial that valerie hopper's character is having against this man that raped both of them yeah the fact that there's no resolution is weird which is why when i say that i mean i hate the idea of this ending with the, the reveal of anything happening bad to carol kane's character but it does feel like a Not just a a unresolved issue, but also something that's reflective of the bigger problem with the movie, which is that nothing gets solved here.
0: Well, and you left out, Doug, the the real salt in the wound, which is at the trial, Carol Kane's character tries to get the attention, right? That's right. Of uh, Valerie Harper's character. And Valerie Harper, it's not clear if she ignores her, if she just legitimately doesn't hear her. But that's the last time we see Carol Kane. Yeah, it's her exactly. trying to get her attention and not getting it. So there's no resolution for her. It's literally just an open question. And it is very frustrating. I I I want to I had a question here about something you already touched on about New England, right? And the yeah. setting of this in Maine. But this actually leads me into my next thing, which is I, I actually want to transition to this question and it'll tie back to the portrayal of New England, which is this. When it comes to Hollywood movies, not just Hollywood really, but Western movies of the time Mm -hmm. that deal with rape, right, with sexual assault, they tend to only fall into two categories, Doug. Message movies and exploitation movies. That's where you see the uh, uh, the sexual abuse of women by men explicitly dealt with is in uh, movies that are sort of a message about all kinds of social things and both positive and negative or exploitation films in which it justifies a revenge or some yeah. other sort of thing is going on. Doug, do you think – we've indicated that this is a message movie because of its seriousness. Do you think in being a message movie it could not be an exploitation movie, or do you think there's elements of both?
1: I think you can have both, and I think some of the higher-minded exploitation movies try to fit a message in there a lot of the times, even if it can be a little haphazard. Um, The thing that I think separates those two things generally is – you know, exploitation movies, and this is just the reality of it, and I think it's something that Liam and I have both accepted uh, in in terms of our enjoyment of watching them. But sometimes when it ta- tackles the issue of rape, the rape is part of the titillation of it. 100%. Like, the worst and, ones, but yes. And, and it's not inconsistent. That happens a lot, particularly in those uh, exploitation movies of the 70s and, and 80s that is not what this movie is about. It no. does not want you to be titillated at any point. Uh it tries to play it very real uh, or at least yeah, I think I think very real in regards to Valerie Harper, the way that small towns can turn on people who are seen as promiscuous or really in any way different from them and the way that small towns and I'm from a small town that that when people when everyone knows each other that you can't that you def- that you kind of insulate yourself and you protect your community from every outsider, even when it's something like this, where it's an accusation that's so serious that you would think that there at least would be some pushback. But no, I mean, what you find out is that, you know, Valerie Harper has this relationship, really kind of brief a fling, I guess you would call it, with the chief of police in this small community. And that ends up being the thing that people use against her when she tries tries to uh, report this rape, that, oh, she must be promiscuous, like that is in any way relevant to what mm-hmm. uh, what what the justice that she wants but i mean it is something that we see all the time i think the message that is trying to communicate isn't confused but that goes back to the calcane thing the fact that calcane isn't able to communicate with her uh, with with her friend at the end is telling because i think it's trying to say to women just generally you have to speak up that it's you're you're that if you don't speak up in a legal way Then you're never going to find the justice that you deserve but i know and we know because we try to hopefully be in our everyday lives sensitive to this and we have very likely friends who if they feel comfortable with us have revealed incidents in their past of sexual assault and rape that in many of those cases they of course don't try to find justice because they know that it's unlikely they'll ever find it and that they'll be just like the she is in this movie, that that they'll be questioned and prodded and have to relive it again and again and again. Th- that's where I have difficulty with this movie. Really, is that there is a message there of come forward, get the justice, but it's not a realistic message. It's not realistic to the world we live in and the different situations that people find themselves in. And I wish well, it was a little more sensitive to that.
0: Well, that's what's highlighted by this. I okay, I'm I'm gonna I really want to go on this riff that you've kind of opened up for me. Uh, specifically because that's the thing about the title, right? An invasion of privacy is not really what happens when she's assaulted. More than her privacy is invaded. An invasion right. of privacy is the idea that she can only win this case by admitting to this courtroom that she had sex with the sheriff as if yeah. it's any of other goddamn business. And that's what the movie ends up sort of hinging on is this idea, right, that, oh, whatever. But it never stops to really push the question of, it's not about one tenacious woman who is somehow in in a really sort of honestly unfairly portrayed way, more brave or some shit than the other women around her. That's cruel. That's not a real thing. It's sure. it's more about the system and the way that the men operate around her, that these men are the one that need to change. And the film is uninterested in that. But but I bring this other thing up, Doug, because I was saying, you know, as I was thinking about writing the questions for this movie, how interesting it is that at the time, you're really only seeing these two presentations often of sexual assault, of these very exploitative movies. Not all of them are tit- titillating, but some of them are, or these like very stodgy message movies. The one thing that did occur to me that related to that earlier thought, though, Doug, was that. The way that this movie presents this fucking New England town, you really think you're watching a redneck exploitation movie.
1: Like, it's like the first half hour is like a horror
0: movie. It really is. It really feels like this is a movie about New Yorkers who've lost themselves in the wilds of Mississippi or Alabama mm, yeah. or whatever southern state you want to make look bad. And again, uh, don't get me wrong, I. <laughs> If you are not from those states, especially if you are a person of color, I don't think people should shame you for sometimes feeling uncomfortable in places, especially places where you suspect you might not be safe. Now, to be fair, I live in Illinois, which, while Chicago is very progressive, the majority of sundown towns in America were in the state of Illinois, just to give you an Mm -hmm. idea of what the state is really like. And so, like, I don't want to pretend like all of the racism or all of the fascism or all the whatever thing we want to say is in the South. However, when it comes to the portrayal in film, it's much more common to see this level of alienation in something in the South. You don't see it in films much in New England. Now, as someone who spent a little bit of time in New England, I don't know that it's entirely wrong to portray parts of New England as a bit backwater, but the level of hostility here is a bit like, fuck, what is happening in this New England town? Almost to the point where this could have functioned in the beginning not just like a horror movie, Doug, but like an H.P. Lovecraft story, like all these people are going to turn out to be like fish worshippers or some shit, you know, like it's just a level of hostility that I don't think is actually necessary for this film to achieve what it wants, which is the idea that as an outsider, she's not in a safe place to share uh, her experience, that she's not, she could have grown up in this town and people would be fucking not welcoming you know what I mean like the, the idea that she has to be uh, a a a Connecticut person and the way they say Connecticut they mean New Yorker but she's just a yeah. New Yorker who lives in Connecticut uh, mm-hmm. she's a New Yorker mm-hmm. out of her depth you know that's sort of what the vibe is uh, you know sexual assault can happen to anyone you don't have to be a fish out of water to be in danger around around men or other sort of uh ways to identify that
1: but isn't th- the explanation of it weird too where it really yeah says like well it's a it's a A tourist town during the summer people come there all the time and everyone's super friendly to them but no one comes during the winter so everyone is sick of being nice to people it's like so they're just like acting for the entire summer but really at their core they're just kind of brutal awful people is that what we're trying to get across here it is strange right it's like it's like the town from jaws at, at the end of the year they were just awful to anyone who might wander by I don't, I I don't understand. Well, it's, it's, it'd be one thing for them
0: to just be skeptical. And that's what the description says when you read the IMDb thing. They're skeptical. And I'm like, yeah, they're more than fucking skeptical. They, they want to hurt this lady. It's really, it's strange. But that was the one aspect that made me think of an exploitation film of like, wow, they're really pushing this thing where it's like, she's so alone. There's no one who cares, blah, blah, blah. It um, would be
1: really interesting if. She was a person of color, instead of yes, yeah, I agree. I, mean that, I agree. But I, that is definitely not something that they no. wanted to tangle with in 1983.
0: No. Uh, I do want to get back then to these sort of social themes here and the idea that, like the the film, though it is taking seriously some of her experiences, and at the time, I'm sure there are plenty of people watching in 1983 who had no idea that it was this hard for someone to come forward when they were uh, a victim, and unfortunately. Uh, this happens in 2023 as well, that like in a lot of places it is just as hostile, let alone if we – this was a more realistic presentation – ineffective. Like even if people aren't outwardly hostile to you for saying something, that doesn't mean you're going to get justice, right? Like that the system is actually really bad at pursuing these kinds of cases uh, and and helping people sort of move on with their lives in a way that feels healing in any in any way. Um, and I do think the movie takes part of that seriously, but I also agree with you that like it is ultimately unsatisfying because it just focuses on her being stubborn. That's all that matters is that she's unwilling to run away, and therefore she, I don't know, deserves justice, and that's kind of fucked, honestly. Yeah. And yeah. while we get to see these men be not good men... Right? That's part of the narrative. We don't get to see any of them change, really. Like, the the most we get to change is the sheriff goes from concerned to deeply concerned. And that's about it. That's all we get out of that dude. And, like, okay, that's cool. I'm glad that he is even more sensitive than he was before. But it would be nice, Doug, just to see even one dude, like, see... Oh man, this is fucked, right? And it, it doesn't seem to get there.
1: Uh, it, which, it feels like it's setting up stuff, like with like Jerry Orbach's character, Jerry Orbach, plays her ex husband who comes to visit her, yes, not knowing yes, what has happened, yes. discovers she's been raped, and at at one point he's like, he obviously is kind of a cad, but he's there and he's like, oh my god, I can't believe this happened. But when she reveals that she had had sex with the the police uh, policeman he's like he, he completely does that 180 he's like what yep. are you sleeping around down here maybe yep. you know you were asking for you know i could take our daughter away like just complete piece of shit asshole mm-hmm. um and he never you never see him again right he leaves the movie at that leaves. point yeah 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 yeah, he, yeah, yeah you're right it it's one of those things where they they're trying to end on a triumphant note when if you give it two minutes of thought it's like there's just so much more Going on there right I do like the idea That there's all these different examples of men In it right and the way that they react sure. whether it be right. yes. The Jeff Daniels lawyer who's who's Like it, it. he comes off as a Kind of an asshole but it's mostly because He's been so uh, Beaten down by what he knows is an unfair System he's like look I'm doing this because I need to not be surprised and I need To be honest with you about your chances Here right and so, and so You kind of have a little bit of respect compared To someone like Jerry Orbach's character or Richard Masters who are just like I want we we like the status quo we don't want to hear about it we want you know if and as soon as they know about her you know just like the people in the town as soon as they know more about her personal life they start speculating about it which is why she has to go up in front of the jury and say this is the relationship I had with the police chief this is the entirety of it because if she doesn't do that they're just going to speculate wildly and think that she's she has in some way asked for what happened again I a, a complete condemnation of us as a society, but a, yeah. a not unrealistic one.
0: I think the thing about it, though, Doug, and I want to highlight this because people who listen to this podcast uh, regularly, they've heard us discuss movies that we find narratively, dramatically satisfying, but politically or socially unsatisfying. Right, right. And, and you know, especially on Wild in the Streets, right? We yeah, might talk yeah. about a movie that is politically repugnant, but it's really fucking good. It's worth highlighting here that this movie could be dramatically satisfying, but maybe be beyond, below uh, the, the the standard of social and political ideas that we're at now. You know, that happens, sure. right?
1: Uh, and maybe we don't get to where we are now without people making things like this, too.
0: Like 100%. It. But as a viewer, I also found it dramatically unsatisfying because it does go to the effort of highlighting the ways that these men are insufficient, right? The ways that they are, some of them are straight up just misogynist, and some of them are good old boys. Some of them are just not sure how to understand what's going on. And those are all dangling threads like Carol Kane trying to get her attention in the courtroom, right? They're just all these things that were shown with no resolution of any kind, and the only resolution we get just doesn't work you know it just doesn't make sense and the film doesn't end in a way that's melancholic you could have a movie where no one changes no one is happy you show that the world is sick and you end the movie in a way that's like yeah it's a real tragedy and the movie it, it straight up in my view ends in a way where you're supposed to feel pretty good a little shooken up that this is the way the world is but at least there's hope that you could find justice and that's not a fuck enough for this movie, in my I mind. I mean,
1: really, it, especially when it, it, the pivot point is, as long as the police officer that you sleep with doesn't go up in front of a jury and say that you're a slut for some reason, which the movie teases that he might do. He might do. Because he doesn't want to get in trouble with the community in which he lives in. And honestly, that that's like the tension of the movie, is whether right. this guy, it's not, is he going to do the right thing? Is, is he just going to be honest to so the fact that they had a real moment and that she just wasn't ready for a full relationship? And that's okay, because they're adults. The fact that that is kind of a pivot point, even though, again, it's not unrealistic, it that is the closest it gets to the idea of that exploitative.
0: I mean, it, it literally gets to a point where they're like, so you slept with him, and then you're not dating him? And she has to yeah. say, well, no, I was raped the next day, yeah. so w- no, we didn't get a chance for a second date because I was assaulted. It's such a fucking nightmare if you think—like, the way it yeah. plays in the movie is that it's— unfair, and it's a little bit cruel, but it just, it is what it is. And it's more than just, it is what it is, Doug. It's so fucking gross. And like, again, I'm not saying that makes the movie awful. I think in a way the movie really is doing what it can with where it's at, but I just needed more. I needed a little bit more of an understanding of... In that ending of, hey, this is not satisfying, actually. This is not a happy ending. This is the best that we could do with this narrative, but we all know it could be better than this, right? And instead, right. the movie kind of ends a way where it's like, yeah, that sucks, but it's not that bad. And it's like, that's not, that's not real. Uh, I want to switch gears just to talk about something that we already highlighted, but I want to make sure we very explicitly say, Doug, what did you think of Carol Kane as Eileen Cohen in this movie?
1: She's great. She's terrific. It's just weird that she's even in it unless she's going to be the lead. You know, just the, the, the fact that there are I so agree. many recognizable actors in the supporting performances here. You know, I mean, Jerry Orbach, uh, he, he wasn't the household name, if you can call him that, that he would become with Law and Order and things like that. But Richard Masser was a very visible actor at that time period. Of course, he was in John Carpenter's The Thing. But, I mean, he played a father figure in, I think he's in Saturday the 14th, just in lots of movies. Very recognizable from that time period. Um and valerie harper of course a very famous actress and and you know it makes sense that she would be in the lead and something like this but an actress you know carol kane was nominated for an academy award and here she is in this fairly minor supporting performance that's why i said the only reason i could think that she's here is because of that big dramatic reveal that occurs which gives her a chance to kind of show off some of her chops the fact that up to that point i was a little confused why she was in this at all um it actually made that moment even kind of more powerful because it's like, oh, now that now I understand that sh- there's more to her than this movie was letting on. I was shocked, to be honest, that, 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 that when she says those words that she had been raped a year earlier in their marital bed. I mean, it's it's a shocking moment and it's, I think it's very well acted. And I'm glad that she was paired with an actor who I also have a lot of respect for so that that, that moment could carry the weight that it's supposed to have. But, I mean, she's great. It's just that she doesn't have a lot to do outside of that part.
0: I agree. I agree. I think that uh, it is, well, and especially for a character that is basically asked to be comedic relief to a certain extent early on, you know, because she so clearly doesn't belong in Maine. As soon as she starts talking, you're like, okay, what's going on (laughs) here, you know? But they make that part of the narrative, and it works well, and the same with her husband, and all of that. It works, and even that reveal works, though I think some viewers might feel it's a bit sudden for her to be, like, revealing something like that. It, it it might hit some people a little off. But I think because of the strength of her performance, it ultimately works. It only, for me, became weird because I don't think the rest of the movie takes it seriously enough. And we no. we are given this dramatic shot of her reaching out trying to connect trying to support trying to look for some way to also have resolution and then the movie is like well that's not as interesting as this fucker going to jail and that's it that's all we get and yeah anyway so uh hey i don't know (laughs) knowing knowing that i watched this on youtube and parts of it were so pixelated that it reminded me of watching like uh online media in the year 1999 you know it's just so choppy and weird on Mm. youtube that i i don't think this is worth anyone's time quite honestly if a better copy becomes available and you are someone who is interested in a tv movie with this like just star-studded cast in a lot of way i don't think it's a waste of time either i think there's a lot here that's actually pretty good i just left it feeling ultimately a bit unsatisfied so you know i don't know Doug. what do you think should people find this or not
1: It's a step above, certainly, the kind of TV movies that we see now, uh, for the most part. It's obviously trying to do something serious. It's trying to be, um, you know, as we said, a message movie. But it's also, you know, it has that great supporting cast. It does have that level of interest in it because of that cast. But it's not worth going out of your way to see there's nothing that's revealing here that will be in any way original or that a hundred other movies haven't done better and ones that maybe have taken the material a little bit more seriously but in terms of getting a perspective on where society as a whole was in regards to how they treated this sort of thing in 1983 i mean it is somewhat revealing and it is interesting it was interesting to watch because of that as liam said there is a really rough looking version uh that was probably recorded from a rebroadcast on youtube there are better looking versions out there but none of them are pristine they're all just television recordings it i do think it deserves a better release i think it can be appreciated i don't think we really talked about it but valerie harper is very very good in the lead yeah that's um, right yeah, yeah yeah. and it's it's if, if any of these actors you know <laughs> hey if you have a podcast which is chronologically going through the career of any of these actors then it might be worth seeking out i'm not sad that we watched it and i'm not sad that we talked about it even though it was a little difficult but it is not one that i would necessarily recommend. It's more like an interesting relic of its time.
0: Yeah, I agree. Uh, On our next episode, Doug, we're going into what seems like different waters. Uh, (laughs) As we discussed 1983, continuing in our journey through 1983 and Carol Kane, uh, Can She Bake a Cherry Pie? Starring uh, Karen Black and Michael Emile. Uh, I'm curious about this. This poster is interesting. (laughs) Uh, It looks like it was directed by Henry a gentleman Jacklin? hanging upside down.
1: Yeah, Henry Jaglum. Have you ever seen a Henry Jaglum I don't film? know that I have. I'm not sure. I have, I'm have. i certainly aware of his career, but I have to be honest, when people say the name Henry Jaglum, the first thing I think about is his book of interviews with Orson Welles, uh, the oh, dinner sure. with, yeah, with yeah, Orson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah because yeah. He, he had a great friendship with him, and they he would record their conversations together. And so most of what I know about his career is from the perspective of Orson Welles commenting about about it in the 80s and and them talking about it so i'm curious about it but i'll be i've always considered him like and this might be a completely wrong comparison But someone like Hal Hartley, where it's like their movies are very contained and they're their own thing. And, and, you know, none of them kind of break out into being particularly hugely popular, but has been able to keep a career going and make their own very personal movies. Maybe I'm wrong, but I guess we'll see when we watch Can She Bake a Cherry Pie on the next episode.
0: Well, Doug, if we have any Jaglum heads out there who uh, are struck to hear us discuss this Karen Black masterpiece, uh, where could they find that episode as well as, you know, other episodes of this podcast and other podcasts?
1: Well, you can always find the latest episodes of Praising Cain over at Cinepunks.com, including... Um not only this podcast, Cinema Board, but just a wonderful array of podcasts and great writing as well. I mean, it's funny, Liam, you were mentioning earlier this year that, you know, you're going to focus the, the website more on the podcasting side and maybe, you know, not do a lot of writing. There's been tons of great writing on the site since then, uh, and it's been really nice to see. But yeah, wonderful podcast there. But if you want to check out the entire Praising Kane archive or all of our other Cinema Board podcasts, you can go over to cinemasmorgasbord.com, a podcast devoted to such diverse topics as the career, of course, of Carol Kane, Jackie Chan, Alejandro Jodorowsky, Paul Bartel, Dick Miller, they're all over there. You can subscribe, leave us a review on your podcast provider of choice or tell a friend that's even better. Uh, You can, of course, also follow Liam on social media on Twitter, at Liam Rules. That's R-U-L-Z. I don't, I'm think I'm, I don't
0: think I'm on Twitter anymore,
1: Doug. You should be, because we do DM conversations, which actually I'd like for you to hop in to maybe participate in. No, I mean, I think
0: <laughs> I think my account is literally deactivated.
1: Like, I oh, really? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus, yeah. how are we going to have conversations about this stuff now? <laughs> I don't know. We'll have to use one of the other ones, I guess. All right. Well, we'll figure it out. Liam is, isn't really on there, but Cinepunks is at Cinepunks on Twitter. And uh, you can find me on Blue Sky under the name uh, Doug Tilly. So Keep an eye on on us there. Uh, Liam, anything else we need to to put out there into the world? Well, you know, uh, as always, we ask if you
0: like the show to tell a friend, rate, review, subscribe, all that kind of stuff. Uh, Let us know if you uh, have any thoughts about it. Hit us up on socials or shoot us an email. Uh, But as always, we just hope that you will take it easy and join us next time and have a very good night.